You're listening to Run With The Bulls, a podcast discussing a unique approach to everyday finance with everyday people. Run With The Bulls is sponsored by Mentoro, a financial wellness company. Now, your hosts, author Danny Kofke and the royalty of financial wellness, Whitney Queen. Welcome to Run With The Bulls. My name is Danny Kofke and I'm a motivational mentor with Mentoro. I am joined by the president of Mentoro, Whitney Queen. Hey, Whit. Hey, Danny, and hello to everyone listening. Today, we are going to dive into a topic that can be kind of touchy for many. In fact, take a listen to this clip. You're up bright and early. I didn't sleep very well. You look great. Got a date? Yes, with the Marine Corps band. I'm starting with the brass, and I'm working my way into the drum section. Don't you think we should talk? It's not the time to talk. I'm mad. I'm getting madder. Oh, you're mad! What do you think I am? I think you're a jerk. I know that. I didn't realize how big a jerk I was until last night. Neither did I. Let's just pack it in then, all right? Let's just finish this whole thing right here and now. Fine. I'll pack a bag for you so you don't have to come back tonight, and I'll send the rest later. You expect me to move out? You shouldn't have any trouble finding a bed. I got a bed, lady. Get the hell out of here! This is crazy! I don't know what makes you think you can just throw me out of my own house. You're the one who's moving. I have worked and slept, suffered, put myself in time with my eyes, and you want me to move out because you got a paper mask? No way, you hear me? No way! I have worked and slaved and suffered for this house every bit as much as you have. Actually, more. Because I had to put up with you. This is ridiculous! You don't even like this house. You never liked it. I love this house! You've done nothing but complain about it since we got here! I did one other thing, Walter. I sunk every nickel I had in the world in this house! What a great movie. The Money Pit starred Tom Hanks and Shelley Long. Whatever could go wrong with the house they bought did. Yes, indeed. And as you guys know all too well, Justin and I decided not to watch this movie after we purchased our fixer-upper. Good idea. (laughs) Right? So while this movie was fictitious, the home buying process is all too real, and becoming a homeowner is often the biggest financial decision that we will make. Yes, uh, absolutely. And since this is the case, we have an expert joining us today. That's right. None other than the Dallas mortgage man, Brian McCauley. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Hey, what's up, guys? I appreciate you all having me on. Appreciate the opportunity and excited to chat a little bit. Yes, yes, we are. We're really happy to have you on, Brian. And before we jump into today's conversation, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you get into real estate? Yeah, man, been in the business since my 18th year. Uh, I am a producing mortgage branch manager uh, and mortgage advisor. Um, we've got about 20, 25 teammates, help about 450 families a year. Uh, you know, I got into the mortgage business, just kind of fell into it. Um, I went to Texas Tech, finished school December 2004, and actually got into the business February 7, 2005. That wasn't by design. Uh, that was just because I, you know, was kind of put in a position where, hey, you got to get job after college, got to figure something out. Um, I was a finance major. I've always loved numbers and problem solving and people. And so it was actually one of the first things I fell into just kind of to get some extra money in my pocket, get a few things rolling and figure it out. Uh, And so slowly but surely, I started to figure it out. I started to like it. And here we are 18 years later. Nice. So as a finance major, you really weren't intended intending to kind of get into the mortgage industry or like in college, what were you thinking? No, I don't think anybody ever says, Hey, I want to be a loan officer. (laughs) No one really knows what that is. Uh, You know, just the finance piece, the money piece, the economic piece, that was always the intriguing piece. Uh The mortgage piece just came because honestly it was an outside sales job. And so I kind of tied the two together. And when you're 23, you're kind of like, Hey, let's just wing it. See what's up, figure it out. Sure. I've got some beer money for the weekend. Uh, My parents aren't going to be on my back in the meantime. And so, you know, one thing led to another and I kind of married the two together 
and it's been a good fit for me for a while. Nice. So you had a couple of good years, I guess, and then all of a sudden, what, 07, 08 hit, yeah. and then, yeah, so interesting. you get in the business, and I don't know anything about what true guidelines and rules are. You're just kind of going off the cuff and learn, you know, from the people around you, and you go on this great run, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, everything starts to melt down, and you're, you know, especially as a younger guy, you're trying to figure out why. Now we know why, because none of those loans should have existed. Mm. Uh, it was a yeah. big hardship for everybody, and you hit a kind of, you know, a couple rough patches figuring out, you know, is this what I want to do? Um, do I want to continue it? And, you know, like everybody had a bunch of tough times, but, you know, you just learn the guidelines, push through, work hard, and we've obviously come out on the back end uh, much, much better. Mm -hmm. Well said. Well said. So before we take an even deeper dive into home ownership, can you both tell me what home ownership has meant to each of you? You know, for me, home ownership's a couple things, right? The first and foremost for me, it's a place to call your own. It's a family place. It's your place of refuge. That's what I enjoy, right? Um, So I like that feeling. I think it's still the American dream. It's also now being in the business. It's a way to create wealth. You know, a lot of people create wealth through home ownership. It's a national appreciating asset. Um, You know, I call it forced place savings. People got to put their money into something, and uh, it helps people get jump-started. So it's a personal thing. It's a financial thing. I like it. I think it's a great thing for people, but that's what it means for me mostly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, for, for me, it's kind of along the lines of Brian, but like stability. And kind of what's important with family. We've shared some of my story before of when my dad passed suddenly, and now my mom lives with us. So to me, it's about that sense of family that, you know what, I, you know, and she pays for it. I mean, she has, we, she finished the basement and, and did that, but it's still, we're all together and just, you know, having two girls and every, it's just one of those things for me. It's like the stability of having that family unit and just, you know, have, knowing that we are okay. We, you know, or have a low mortgage right now, don't owe a lot on it, but like knowing, okay, we kind of have this freedom in a way locked into a very low interest rate. So we know going forward, we're going to have a roof over our heads. The payments aren't extraordinary. So it's just like, okay, we are, we're good. And the stability for me is kind of what homeownership has meant. Mm. How about you, Wit? Yeah, I think, um, for me, it's it's about having that refuge. Like you said, it's 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 your home. It's your place where you feel most comfortable, where you can be yourself, where you can invite people in. You know, growing up, uh, everybody was always in the kitchen at my house, and my mom loves to cook, and it was just this warm and welcoming and inviting place. And so, to me, it's not so much about the house. It's the people and the things that fill the home that makes it so special. And I think now that I have my own, as annoying as it has been to fix it up, uh, I have a great sense of pride at this point, um, you know, in looking at my home. And Right, right. You know, and I think, you know, that, that is great about the family gathering. We used to have, um, when my grandmother was still around and my dad as well, like every Sunday we would have, uh, we have the NFL Sunday ticket. So we had family mm-hmm. Sundays every Sunday. My grandparents were over, my mom and dad, and we just watched football. I mean, it really... Think about, yeah, it was about football and rooting for it, but mainly it was about family and kind of when Mm -hmm. I look back. So, yeah, I think, you know, all of us kind of hit on that, that, you know, it's definitely about building that foundation. Oh, yeah. Well, you think about in real estate in general, it never fails. There's somebody who is emotionally attached to their house. And so it's, it's hard for them to give it up. And so you have all these other things that have been built into the process, like writing letters and just it there's that sense of emotion that is definitely tied into it sure so um as you can tell from our answers home ownership means something different for everyone when we get back some of the steps to take when purchasing a house connect with us on social media search at mentoro group on facebook instagram twitter and linkedin welcome back So, Brian, many of our members at Mentoro are young adults who are either renting or looking to buy their first home. 
We discussed the importance of credit scores to obtain favorable interest rates, but what other advice could you give those looking to buy a house for the very first time? Yeah, so anybody out there looking to buy a house the first time, it's a journey. There's a couple easy tips that people can take to get started. Uh, I think when you know the first one is the mindset of hey, you know, buying a house is the biggest investment and biggest purchase of someone's life, so you got to get ready for it. You got to prepare. A couple things you can do to prepare, um, obviously, is you know first and foremost, I think what they should do is find a good realtor in the area uh, that they can trust to show them the neighborhoods, the communities, the schools, and all that to help kind of coach them through that home buying process. The second piece is going to be making sure and get yourself with a good loan officer. Most good realtors. Have good loan partners that will help them with the pre-approval and getting everything done because obviously the numbers are big on a home you want to make sure and run them you want to make sure and do a personal budget uh, and you want to make sure and keep it you know where it's comfortable so you don't have any issues when it comes to qualifying but also making the payments um, the other thing too is just the preparation piece I tell everybody when you're getting ready to buy a house or do a home loan think about it like a resume you know uh, bankers investments mortgage companies are going to look at everything financial from credit report income assets things of that nature so take some time to prepare to give yourself the best opportunity so outside of the fun part which is buying a house getting a home loan is kind of the non-fun part right it's a lot of red tape and a lot of credentials and a lot of financials and you want to make sure you look your best so take some time to prepare and get ready for that wow great insight uh it is i'm sitting here thinking how nice it would have been to have you in my pocket <laughs> a couple of years ago, um, although uh, Atlanta is quite the commute, I guess. So <laughs> yeah. um, what about existing homeowners? Any tips for them? Yeah, I mean, anybody that, you know, currently owns a house, right? It, I, I think of buying a house as just a piece of financial wealth. It's a piece of the puzzle. But there are so many other things that help people create wealth. And just, you know, in this day and age, a lot of people don't even run personal budgets. They don't track mm -hmm. how much they make, how much they spend. They don't you're have speaking to the choir. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Right, 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 right. So, you know, existing homeowners are great. But I think a couple of things they want to do is, you know, just obviously be proactive on the upkeep in the house. I think that's one thing that people are reactive on. They don't do anything until it's broken. So I'd say two times a year, the spring and the fall, make sure that your simple, easy things are done. People get inspections on houses whenever they buy them to make sure they're not broken at the time being. I tell everybody like, hey, get an inspection once a year. It's three or 400 bucks, but it's a nice upfront investment. So if things are going wrong or if something's there, you catch it early. Um, you know, as an existing homeowner, I would pay attention to the neighborhoods and the trends and everything in the area to make sure that your community uh, is on the up and it's not on a decline. Because obviously, you know, a big part of that is when they go to resell, they want to get as much equity as they can and use that money paying it forward to kind of compound their wealth. Um, so just, you know, stay close to the community, pay extra attention to your property. I would always recommend, you know, doing some renovations and, and some upkeep and things here and there to keep it in tip top shape. Don't overdo it because you don't want the most superior house on the on the street. It might be fun and it might look great, but if there's no comparable sales there after the fact, you may not get dollar for dollar on that. So just some easy things to think about as a homeowner. That's really, really helpful insight. And I'm curious in talking about the upkeep and being retroactive and taking care of the things within your home, what are your thoughts on, you know, getting warranties? I know that that was a big thing that's kind of pushed, but a lot of people, you know, have different feelings on it, I yeah. guess. I mean, I think warranties are good. You know, um, if, if you just need to check the fine print to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think warranties are for the big ticket items, right? So if you pay $600 for a home warranty and a $5,000 air conditioner bus and it's covered, great. Uh, but a lot of that stuff, you know, it's not needed. Um, a, lot, a lot of times your homeowner's insurance will take care of it. Uh, the other thing too, you know, obviously when people are homeowners, I would make sure they reach out to their realtor if the realtor's not reaching out to them a couple times a year. Most realtors have what's called a property improvement management plan. And it's just an easy checklist of things that people need to do every single year to protect from big things breaking down. It's simple things. 
water, you know, overseeding the lawn, changing the air filter, smoke mm-hmm. alarms, running things through the pipe to get it all squared away. So I think home warranties are good. Um, I think if you have any big ticket items, you'll save money. Uh, but majority of that stuff are for the big things. And so, you know, if you're not worried about the, the big things, I'd say it'd be case by case, depending upon mm-hmm. what the warranty covers. Okay. Makes, okay. makes yeah, total makes sense. sense. So it's pretty much all over the news, but we are hearing how the Federal Reserve recently raised interest rates, and they're probably going to continue to do so this year. So how do raising interest rates affect mortgages in the housing market in general? Great question. I've answered this question more this year than ever. So what happens is when Fed, when the Fed raises interest rates, those are actually not tied to more mortgage rates. Those are short-term rates. Um, so th- those are things like credit cards, auto loans, home equity lines of credit, right? So what happens is they're raising those things that obviously try to offset inflation and get some of that spending down. Mortgage rates aren't directly tied to that. They trend in that direction as well, but they're tied a little bit more to the bond market and the tre- treasury and all that. And so they're not, while they're not binary to it, they kind of follow the, you know, the actual trend. But anytime money becomes more expensive, it slows things down. Right. And I think we saw that during the COVID run when interest rates dropped back down in the mortgage field of in the twos, everybody in the country looked at a refinance. You could not look at it. Right. The, the average uh, for home loans each year is probably one or two billion. During the COVID run, there was like 11. I'm sorry, one or two trillion. There was 11 trillion dollars at one time and home loan applications going. Wow. Um, so what happens was, you know, on the good side of it, everybody got to save money. Right now, people are tapping the brakes a little bit, trying to figure out exactly where the end game is. Now, the hard part about it is if rates are hanging around five or five and a half right now, that's still a really historically competitive rate. I think the challenge became that, you know, we all knew respectfully that this inflation piece was not transitory, even though we were told that. <laughs> yes. um, and I don't think anybody has any issue with a rate at five or five and a half. I think the issue was at Christmas when rates were at 299, and now rates are at five and a quarter, five and a half. That was supposed to be a 12 to 18 month slow process. And what happens is they flip the light switch within three or four months. Mm-hmm. And so it went from really low to really high mm-hmm. quickly. And the problem is it's discouraging for two reasons. One, um, people that are shopping for homes that got pre-approved in December, but now they're not able to get a house till March, their payment's gone up by two, three, 400 bucks. So it discourages the spirit of the home buyer from a financial standpoint. Sure, and when we have 60% living paycheck to paycheck already, right. that's gonna prevent them from the, yeah, being able to And buy. the second piece was when interest rates go up and payments go up, they now have more debt. And some people are already in the cusp of not qualifying. So now their debt to income is too high and okay. it actually takes them out of the race of home ownership. So the effect was more of a subconscious one of, man, you know, I really like that house with the house payment at this much. Now I don't like it or can't afford it this much. What do I do? So I think people are in that dilemma and trying to figure out exactly, hey, when is this going to end? Where's it going to be? And when my time is, I think the positive thing I tell everybody is, you know, the thought process through this is I would, I would, you know, marry the house and date the rate, meaning you're going to be in the house for a long period of time. Rates are going to come back down 12 to 24 months and there'll be a refi boom. So in the event that you're a potential home buyer in this time and you've got to take a five, five and a half rate, think about it like a band-aid loan. It's going to hang around for 12 to 24 months. And as soon as everything reverses, which it will, right, refinance, lower the credit, I mean, sorry, lower the rate, mm-hmm. lower, lower the payment. Uh, when you have more equity, but don't, you know, don't not buy the house become of it. It's not a forever thing. People just have to get used to that, at least for now. That's a really good way to look at it. I think so many people are kind of myopic in their vision and they think, oh, definitely can't do this. But usually when you buy a house, you are there for such a long time that to your point, you're going to have lots of opportunities to change that. That's great. Anything else that you think we should know 
um, if we're looking to buy a house or refinance. I know there are some rules of thumb with refinancing and how much the percentage rate should drop in order Mm -hmm. for it to make sense for you. Can you shed some light on that? Yeah, I think so. Refinances um, are all about improving the overall financial position of the borrower. Okay, so people get too stuck on the rate, too stuck on the payment. That's a component of it. But there are so many different ways and so many different reasons to refinance. Obviously, the first one is, well, people want to lower the rate and payment. Great. Sometimes they can shorten the term and keep the payment exactly where it is right now and save five to 10 years of interest. Um, The most popular refinances that people are looking at right now are cash out refinances where their equity has just gone through the roof. So I call it like ghost equity, meaning if your house has gone up a ton and you don't do anything with it, it just feels good. You can only tap into it unless you sell it uh, or you refinance it. So what a lot of people are doing is they're, you know, taking the equity that's been made through this market, cashing out 100 grand, 200 grand, 300 grand. They're either paying off debt, which I think is a great thing because they're eliminating so much other bad debt. Uh, In my opinion, you know, credit card debt is the worst. Auto debt is kind of in the middle because at least it's collateralized by something. So if you get in a pinch, you can sell it. But cars historically go down in value and you don't get any tax deductions where mortgage debt it's secured it goes up in value and you get deductions you have to pick and choose where the debt piece is and so refinances have become popular because people have you know taken out too much credit card debt or you know they want to pay off auto debt and they want to put themselves in a position where yes their mortgage payment and refinance can go up by 300 bucks but if they clear out a car payment a credit card payment and they're saving 800 a month that's a big win for them and the interest too right when you're saying credit card 18 to 24 percent compared to even right now five percent right right Right. And so, you know, obviously people don't love the fact that the interest rates are where they're at right now, again, with the mortgages. But if you take the cash out, clear your books and you can create some cash flow and eliminate Mm -hmm. debt, you can go get that back when the market changes. And then there's just reasons where some people are wanting to do renovations. Some people are wanting to do expansions or put in a pool or maybe they're interested in saying, hey, I want to sell my house. I can make, you know. 200 grand off of it, but the one that I want for my family here is now an extra five or 600. That's a little bit too high. So they're taking the cash out and they're renovating, expanding on their existing place to put them in a place to where they want to be. They just don't want to pay what the market is for the new properties now. So, you know, improving somebody's overall financial position doesn't necessarily have to be tied to rate. Sometimes the rate can go up by a percent, but if you're cashing out 75 grand and clearing out 2,500 elsewhere, you're actually still in the positive. So I would, I would frame it in a, in a nerdy mortgage way. I'd call it the net tangible benefit to the client. What does that mean? It's just having that deeper conversation with the current and the future and figuring out if that refinance is a good fit for them. I like the nerdy, I, I like the nerdy uh, statement there right. because just like with finances, it all depends on your situation, what mm-hmm. you value, kind of the path you want to take. So. Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and speaking of financial freedom, coming up next, how home ownership can lead to it. Connect with us on social media. Search at Mentoro Group on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Welcome back. Before we get into the pros and cons of owning a home, I want to touch on the topic of knowing how much you can afford to spend on a house. Tricky question. Yeah, it is. And uh, we cannot stress the importance of this enough. So in years past, most mortgage lenders used a formula based on your income to determine how much house you could afford. Some lenders got away from this formula, which was one of the causes of the 2008-2009 housing market crash. Right. Those were uh, some scary times, (laughs) to say the least. So if you make $50,000 a year, there is no way you should even consider or get qualified for buying a house that costs $350,000 unless you have a lot of money in the bank or other types of assets. Right. right? And that was happening a lot back then, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So Brian, I have heard that a general rule of thumb is that housing expenses should not exceed more than 30% of your income. 
Is that accurate? I think it's a good rule of thumb. What I would tell people, and when I look at financials and buying a house, I care a whole lot more about their overall debt than just their housing debts. Uh, meaning sometimes, you know, somebody may have a housing uh, a housing payment where it's, you know, 40% of their income, but they have, they have no other debt. Mm-hmm. And somebody may have 25% of their income, but they've got a $1,200 car payment and a $600 credit card payment, right? So I look at the totality of the financial picture and try to advise them as much as I can, but I think 30% is a good starting rule. Okay. And I like that because that is a lot of times we don't look at, you know, if you have student loan debt or you have all these other things, you know, you may make a lot of money, but your debt is still taking up a lot. So you have to be careful. So no, great, great point. I like that. Okay. Now that we focused on buying a house you can afford, should you buy a home? What are some good reasons to do so? Yeah. And Brian, I read an interview you did with Maxim discussing how home ownership can lead to financial freedom. And since my wife is listening, for the record, I just read the articles on Maxim. That's me too, it. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, can you elaborate on how home ownership can lead to financial freedom? Yeah. Um, there's a couple things on that, right? So, so a little, a little secret I want to tell renters out there that you're paying a mortgage right now. You're just not paying your own. Landlords love you for that because you're paying off their retirement and you're getting them set up. So you need to flip the mindset and start doing it for yourself, right? So mm-hmm. a couple different ways that it helps people create financial freedom. So in Texas, a good rule of thumb is, you know, most homes appreciate on an average of about 4% a year. Okay. okay. So if you buy a $500,000 house, it appreciates at 4% a year. That's 20 grand a year. Let's say, uh, let's say you stay there for five years, right? So you're going to pick up $100,000 in appreciation uh, from just living in the house. Second piece is, again, you're paying, you're paying a principal. So you're paying some money into a principal every single month. So you're going to pay down the notes. I call, I, I call it forced place savings. It forces you to make a payment. Some of that goes towards the principal. And so when you go to sell that house, whatever the appreciation and the equity gains are, plus obviously what you've paid into it, that gives you a lot of financial freedom. You get a big pile of cash back. I, 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 I kind of use the analogy, it's like poker. It helps you get a lot of chips and you can use those chips to play the game better and play the game faster. Um, depending upon what your debt position looks like at the time of sale, some people roll it into the house, some people take and clear out some other debt, some people do startups, some people do it in investment. But it's one of the best and fastest and easiest ways to help people jumpstart wealth based on appreciation, based on some tax deductions, because you get tax deductions of the mortgage interest, and making sure that your money's going into something, the principal, aka forced place savings, so you'll get some of it back. I love that. I love it. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, Brian, time for you to be the Nostradamus mortgage man. What do the next five years look like in the housing market? I'm thinking, you know, interest rates, prices, inventory, all the things that we've been talking about. What do you think it's going to be like? So I'm going to stay in my own backyard for a minute. So I'm going to stick with Dallas first, and I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about the state of Texas. So I, I just think the city of Dallas is going to be continuing to, to trend up. I mean, I think it's just on the map already, and I don't think there's any going back. You know, I saw this... Um, I would say late 2019, I saw, you know, slowly but surely people and companies coming here quickly because of obviously the cost of living, the economic policies, the no state income tax, the great weather, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What COVID did is it actually put Dallas on the map even harder. And it made people realize like, wow, this is a great place. The cost of living's down, all these wonderful positive things. And so the city just started to explode. So many people from California and New York, everything came here. And so what's happening now is that now that Dallas is on the map and has a lot of eyeballs, people are going to not, you know, uh, go anywhere else because there's just so much opportunity here. And I think that stands for the next three to five years. I think you saw a month ago, you had Chevron, you had Caterpillar, and you had somebody else that just announced that they're moving their headquarters here as well. So 
to you know to to your point, what do I think is going to happen with the market? I think more of the same. Dallas has such a great economic boom that the more people that come here and the more companies that come here, I mean, everybody has to have a place to live, so the housing is going to continue to increase. Um, as far as interest rates, you know, my thought on that is probably the next six to twelve months, we're probably going to see more of the same. The five to six percent interest rates. They're going to try to get inflation down as much as they can. They're going to try to hold it off. Um, but the problem is when they do that and people stop spending, you know, you're going to get into probably a deeper recession. When they say, you know, they say things that are going to recede. So what happens is when things start to recede too bad and there's no GDP and people start having less faith in where they can put their money, they normally do two things to stimulate. They will change the tax law. And say, hey, let's let's make it easier. Let's let you know self-employed people and people keep more money in their pocket, and so that way they'll go spend because the government's taking less and we're keeping more is usually number one. The second part to you put about interest rates is they'll start to cut them. They'll cut them in quarters and halves for a long period of time, and because the more they can bring them down, the more it incentivizes people to uh, spend, and that's how they obviously can you know continue to increase GDP and get back. They're, they're supposed to be. I think Dallas is going to be this way for a while. I think the beautiful thing about Dallas, in my opinion, versus other big cities like Austin, San Antonio, and Houston is, you know, a lot of those cities are landlocked. Um, they're beautiful cities and they're great, but they're nowhere to go. You know, from Dallas all the way to Choctaw, all the way to Oklahoma, there's just raw land. So they can keep building and building and building and building. And so there's a lot more opportunity here. And so I think you're going to continue to see companies, institutions, individuals continue to move here. One of the positive things about COVID is it gave people the ability to work remote and hybrid. So, you know, it used to be such a deterrent to where if you lived in Plano and had to drive to downtown Dallas every day, that was a 45-minute commute to work. That just killed people's quality of life. Mm -hmm. Now that people can, you know, work from home or kind of have a hybrid model, somebody can live up in Frisco, up in Salina, up in Prosper. And so that's why you're going to see continuation of demand and build up there for a period of time. So I just see more of the same. I think the only temporary change is going to be obviously with the higher interest rates um, continuing to move up in the future. That's going to be a t temporary thing until they get control of it. And then things will come back down to probably the three or 4% range and stay there for a while. But you know, the fortunate part about this city in our state, um, it's in an excellent spot. People are aware of it. So I see nothing but growth for a while. So do you like, you know, nationwide, we're going to kind of talk bigger picture. Um, you know, back in 07, 08, we did see that bubble where places like Florida, Las Vegas, where they went up. But it seems like today, like when I even in Georgia look around, even at some of these mountain towns where like, you know, they're not, you wouldn't think desirable. Homes are still at that 250, 270 level, 270,000. So like, do you see that we're like even nationwide, maybe in a bubble? Or do you think prices are probably going to stay right here? Unlike 07, 08, where you saw that big crash and there are two different things. So the, the crash in 07, 08 was specific to home loans only that it should have never, ever been given, right? Okay. Um, the, the challenge we're in right now, and again, it's not a crash, it's just a small correction. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right, to get things back to normal, but they're going to continue to trend up over a long period of time. I don't see any true bubbles. Um, mm -hmm. The truth of the matter is people really don't care that much about the price of the house. They care more about the mortgage payment. Um, and so as long as you can get the financial strategy in order, like people were willing to pay $500,000 for a house at Christmas because they felt great about the interest rate at 299 so their payment was X. The only reason they don't love that $500,000 house right now is because of the payment. So if there's a way to restructure that and figure all that out, that would be more advantageous than to go ahead and buy. So there's a couple different strategies to do all that, but I don't see any true actual bubbles and there's a big shortage. Um, I just think what happened is that the migration of COVID pushed everybody to certain areas 
of the country. And so what you have is a rapid, massive expansion, which feels like a bubble, but we've never had that population separation that fast. So that's why it feels that way. But at the end of the day, it's just full of people and they have places to, that they're going to need to live. And so, you know, there is no bubble other than too many people in one place. But the only way to solve that is to, you know, come up with more inventory, which is still a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Almost like looking at the minimum payment on a credit card. Like, and I think a mortgage people, I can afford this every month. I don't look long term, 30 years, it's going to cost me, you know, $850,000 on this home it's this month. I can afford it. That's a right. interesting concept. Mm-hmm. So, um, so finally, and probably most importantly, here at Mentoro, we like to occasionally get into conspiracy theories. And I bet, Brian, you can guess who our ringleader is. So what is your favorite conspiracy theory? I've crawled down a couple rabbit holes on YouTube on this. Uh, I am curious about the aliens conspiracy theory. Are we by ourselves? Are they out there? I keep digging more and more. And I shouldn't. I like that. But, you know, everybody wonders, are, are we alone? That's my, that's my conspiracy theory that I'm, that I'm uh, you know, into right now and trying to figure out um, where are they? Why haven't they, you know, why would they tapped on our door sooner? So yeah, th- that's fine. Okay. Why don't they need home mortgages? That's correct. Yeah. Yes. Because they can fly in space and that's their house. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Wow. Great point. I like it. We're going to, yeah, that's a rabbit hole. I have to go down this yes. weekend. I like it. For sure. So from this conversation, it's pretty clear. We feel that home ownership was right for us, but remember personal finance is personal. What makes sense for us may not make sense for you. Right. And home ownership is definitely not a one size fits all answer. So Brian, thank you so much for joining us. And can you please tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and the great work that you are doing? Yeah, I appreciate that, guys. Um, You know, we're here in Dallas, Texas. Uh, You can go to our website, dallasmortgagenews.com. If you're on social, you can follow me. It's Dallas Mortgage Man or all my handles. Got a wonderful team here. Here will help everybody with whatever they need 24-7. So we're just trying to create wealth through home ownership, help people do it the right way and help them get to the finish line. All right, gentlemen, that's it for today. Brian, I echo Danny and can't thank you enough for joining us today and sharing all this great insight. Thank you all for listening and catch us next time as we run with the bulls. Run with the bulls is sponsored by Mentoro and hosted by Danny Kofke and Whitney Queen. Learn more by visiting mentorogroup.com.